0: Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango?
2: So one of the things I used to love, and there really isn't that much of this anymore, but I used to love all the weird and ridiculous websites that you could find online. Like there's a page I've mentioned before that's dedicated strictly to saving the Northwest Pacific tree octopus. (laughs) And uh, of course, you know, there aren't any endangered species of octopus that live in trees, but this page really does its best to prove that they do. And uh, there's also this site I remember thinking was so funny when I found it called Taco Spin. It's just a page with a single picture of a taco spinning. And as you're there, it just counts how many spins you've witnessed for the length of time you've been on there.
3: <laughs> Seems like a meaningful site. It
2: really is. It means a lot to me. And then, and then there's also a site called Is It Christmas? Basically, you type in isitchristmas.com, and most of the year it has the word no written on it. One special day a year, it changes <laughs> to a yes. I'm not going to tell you which one because I don't want to
3: spoil it for you. Yeah, don't, don't spoil that for anybody. <laughs> uh, I mean, I also kind of love fossils that are still on the internet. Like I don't know why the original space... Jam H&M site is still up there and you know for the longest time the official dole kemp 1996 website was still left up there i don't know maybe <laughs> somebody's still holding out hope that they'll somehow win but uh but it's just fun to see these
2: yeah i mean it is bizarre especially since someone's actually paying to keep those sites up but yeah. for uh today's nine things i thought it'd be really fun to just highlight delightful corners of the internet let's dig in
3: Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh ticketer, And sitting behind the soundproof glass, wearing a t-shirt. It's been a little while since he's worn one of his custom t-shirts. This mm-hmm. one is of Avocado Rat, which I guess was a Brooklyn hipster version of Pizza Rat. Yeah, that's anyway, that, right. That's, that's <laughs> our friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. So, Mango, we're talking delightful corners of the internet today, but You know, every once in a while, I look up the Blair Witch Project and your name, just to see if that beautiful story is still there. (laughs) I can't believe you brought it up. (laughs) Uh, you, You actually need to just remind us all of that story. So you were in college and you were... I think you were interning somewhere and you and your friends went to go see the Blair Witch Project, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. So it, it was when I was living in D.C. for the summer and we just submitted this big project at my office and pulled together like this all-nighter essentially. And so our boss decided it would be fun to treat us to a movie. So the Blair Witch Project had just come out and we went to go see it. And during the movie, I got motion sickness. Like I, I'm actually fine generally. Like when I'm at movies, I'm not affected by motion in movies or anything. but very, very occasionally, like, shaky camera work can make me a little nauseous. And the Blair Witch Project had that. So, anyway, the movie ends. We leave the theater. And there's this cub reporter just waiting outside from the Washington Post, <laughs> just standing by the exit. And she's asking everyone, like, like, did you get sick? Did you get sick? Did anyone feel sick? So, I guess it was enough of a thing that the Washington Post was, like, writing a trend piece on it. Anyway, my friends pointed her to me. And she comes up to me and she says, "I heard you threw up." And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like I, um, no." And and she she says, "Uh, well, you look really wretched." And and I, I was a little confused. And she says, "And your skin looks really pallid." And I was like, what is going on your wretched palate? I need to stop this. So I yeah. said, excuse me. I, I mean, I did not throw up. I, I just got a little <laughs> off from the shaky camera work, but nothing else. And you, you totally know this, but I used to have, especially in college, this this nervous habit of not knowing where to put my hands. And so yeah. I just kind of placed them on my stomach as I talked. and. As she kind of scribbled these things, she wrote up her notes and then ran away. And then the next day, my friends showed me the Washington Post, which had this ridiculous paragraph all about me.
3: It was ridiculous. And actually, I decided to pull this up because it's just such a delightful part of the internet to me. But here is what it says. It says, for some, like Mangesh or 20... The jittery camera was enough to make him feel wretched after a recent screening. Looking pallid, he stood outside (laughs) a few minutes after the show. Quote, the handheld camera stuff made me sick, he said, clutching his stomach. He did not, however, actually hurl, he reported, his friends. (laughs) I can't ever get through it, it says. His friends were no doubt grateful for that. (laughs) It is so
2: ridiculous. And I feel like for years after that, it was like one of the top articles when you Googled my name, or at least when you Googled my name with the word wretched.
3: (laughs) Yep. If you Google Mengeshi's name with wretched, you will find this story anyway. So that may be the best part of the internet. But anyway, where do you want to go from here?
2: So how about a weird book room? And this is a section of a site from A Books, which is an online book dealer. And the weird book room is this sort of ever-growing assortment of the most bizarre, awkward, unsettling, like amazingly offbeat titles you'll ever find. (laughs) And it isn't just like a photo blog of book covers either. You can actually buy these obscure titles directly from the site. But you don't have to buy them. Perusing them is super fun. And here are just a few favorites I found while skimming the list. Extreme Ironing 101, Crafting with Cat Hair, How to Live with an Idiot, (laughs) Goblin Proofing One's Chicken Coop, The Thermodynamics of Pizza, Rats for Those Who Care, How to Make Your Own Dried Apple Dolls, Old tractors and the men who love them and nuclear war. What's in it um, for you? <laughs>
3: that's so good. I mean, this seems like a great place to do your holiday shopping just to find some uh, some real gems out there. Mm, it definitely is. <laughs> All right. Well, here is a page I liked. It's called That's Not How You Pipette. And it's basically a bag of people in pop culture misusing lab equipment. And so... For anyone who doesn't know, a pipette is this lab tool that's basically the science equivalent of an eyedropper, like a turkey baster, you know, kind of a kind of a science baster, I guess. But <laughs> despite how simple pipettes may seem, they actually come in a bunch of different forms and sizes depending on what you're trying to do, and unfortunately that kind of nuance often falls by the wayside in TV shows, especially ones that portray lab techs and crime scene investigators. And so for most of us, that's not that big of a deal because we really can't tell the difference. We're not used to seeing these in use all the time. But for someone who works in a chemistry lab or in medicine, it can be pretty annoying to see a common tool so badly misused on the screen. And so that's where this Tumblr comes in, because it acts as a running list of all the pipette fails in popular TV shows. <laughs> and and weirdly, there's actually a wide range of mistakes to catalog here. So there's some simple stuff like, you know, using one while not wearing gloves or using a pipette that's way bigger than the situation requires. But then there's the really egregious stuff, like when a character uses a pipette to insert, you know, an RFID chip in somebody's hand, they've used one for some reason. <laughs> So the site has been around since 2013, and and, you know it's kind of an oldie, but I still like looking back at this one.
2: So I'm sure a favorite of people who like to fact check as well, right? Like like kind of falls into a category of, I I feel like there was an HR director who looked at the office and and cataloged Mm -hmm. how many mistakes the HR department was making with Steve Carell's character, but uh, I I love that. So you, you know what? One of the sites that took the internet by storm a while back was Stuff on My Cat. Which is a good sight for folks who enjoy the simple pleasure of seeing random objects put on top of sleeping cats. But, you know, for many, that scene has gotten a little too pedestrian over the years. It's easy to find house cats sleeping and get them to pose with a bunch of stuff on top of them. But trying to do that with a capybara is way... Harder. So, <laughs> as the world's largest rodent and a native of South America, you know, these can be a little harder to come by to begin with. And so, spotting a capybara with something weird sitting on top of its back tends to be way more rewarding. And, and right. that's why I, I love the site. It's called animals sitting on And <laughs> it is just photos of wild animals on top of these like obliging capybaras. You can find turtles, dogs, monkeys, butterflies. Sometimes like a group of birds will be on top of there and, and wow. they're just taking advantage of this like oversized rodent. But you know the blog also features fan art of where like people depict their favorite animal stacks on top of capybaras.
3: <laughs> that uh, just takes it to another level. That's, uh, it that's really impressive. Does. All right. Well, since you brought up animals, here's a thing I like that Gabe happened to tell me about. So you know, how Twitter is obviously this mixed bag of information and of course trolls, but mm-hmm. There's one account on there that's so sweet and simple, it almost makes up for everything. And it's called I've Pet That Dog. And it (laughs) follows this 10-year-old boy named Gideon Kidd who's on this ongoing quest to meet and hopefully pet every dog he possibly can. (laughs) I love it. And you know and and that's that's really all there is to it like every post includes a photo of Gideon posing alongside the latest dog that he pets and below it is this write up summarizing the encounter I mean it's so good and actually here's one from a week or so ago when Gideon met this dog Coco here's what he writes I pet Coco today is his first birthday he's an english chocolate lab he loves music so he was named after the movie Coco he's a smart dog who will bring you his food if you say bring me a can He loves bananas and whines for them, and Coco is the happiest when you scratch his armpits. (laughs) So, (laughs) anyway, apparently I've Pet That Dog has amassed nearly 200,000 followers since it launched last April, and in that time, Gideon has personally met more than 750 dogs.
2: So, I mean... I like dogs a lot and I think that feels like more dogs than I'll pen my life. Like he's really yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's only he's,
3: ten. <laughs> he's he's on a mission. There's no doubt about that. All right, so what do you have next? So I've got a super quick and super weird
2: one. It's called Gold Bloomings. And Gold Bloomings is nothing but flowers in bloom featuring Jeff Goldblum's head or a picture of him popping out of them.
3: (laughs) It's somehow both really funny and really disturbing, which I think makes it worth mentioning. (laughs) Yeah, that kind of sounds like maybe just like a weird dream you would have, like where all the flowers would have Jeff Goldblum on. (laughs) But he's like perky in every one of the
2: pictures.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So weird. All right. Well, I'm going to go with a little bit longer of a fact. And this is with a site I found called Ask the Past. And it's part blog, part advice column. But the twist is that all the advice is taken from very old or even ancient books. So Obviously, most of the advice is really terrible. So, for instance, there's a question on how to tell if someone is dead or not. And the answer is from the 1380s. Here's what it says. If there's any doubt as to whether a person is or is not dead, apply lightly roasted onion to his nostrils. And if he be alive, he will immediately scratch his nose. <laughs> you know, it's simple as that. Don't feel for a pull. It's a nice just, life you know, hack. Just go get an onion. Yeah, it's a it's a great hack. Or if you want to improve your memory, you could always follow this advice taken from a 16th century medical journal. So pay attention, Mango. This is important advice here. And it says, to sleep hosed and chewed, especially with foul socks, don't hinder the memory because of the reflection of the vapors which feebleth the sight and causes the body to burn. Is that not profound? I am not sure what that means. Can you explain it? (laughs) Well, I I wasn't sure either, but basically you might have assumed that your poor memory was due to stress or lack of sleep, but it's actually due to sock vapors from dirty socks plugging up your brain. They're also (laughs) blinding and burning you apparently. Anyway, Ask the Past is this lovingly curated collection by a Johns Hopkins history professor named Elizabeth Archibald. And She's actually got some pretty funny answers on everything from how to interpret small hands to how to serve a flaming bird. That is great to know. And I I know we've got two more spots on the internet
2: to fill out now. But before we do that, let's take a quick break.
0: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity
2: Welcome back to Part-Time Genius where we're talking about some delightfully strange corners of the internet and there are obviously too many of these to get to. If you're listening and you've got a great one, please do share them with us because we want to hear your favorites.
3: But anyway, Will, it's your last fact. Where are you going to take it? Well, there's this site I love that everybody should investigate and it's called Scouting New York. And I like it because you get to see what a movie scout sees when they, you know, kind of wander through a city and how different a city might look through their eyes. And so the site was created by this guy named Nick Carr. And it's amazing what he finds. Like, he'll walk into a hardware store and notice a strange arch. And, you know, it's it's just this hardware store that's packed with these things in midtown Manhattan. But he'll follow the seams of the arch and find a little statue on both sides and get curious about that. And so He'll go back and do some research and show you how this little nondescript hardware store actually used to be this gorgeous, ornate movie theater. And he spots these things in the detail. So, you know, his site is full of these delightful little findings like this fishing village in the Bronx or the story behind this George Jetson-like house hidden in a New York skyline or, huh. you know, why every Hollywood film seems to shoot at the same Chinese restaurant. It, it's really a wonderful site. That's
2: amazing. I I really do like that. And I I love that, you know, so many people can see the same city and not see what he sees, right? It's like pretty 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 impressive. So My last site doesn't follow the rules, but I love it so much, I I kind of had to give it a tribute. There's a site that the comedy superstar Amir Blumenfeld created when he was a much younger comedian, and it's called Falindromes. And uh, while the original (laughs) site doesn't exist today, you can still find links on the Wayback machine pretty easily. But for some reason, Amir decided to make a site full of Falendromes, which he defines as, quote fake palindromes. And though they cannot be read the same forwards and backwards like their sister palindromes, their (laughs) peculiar structure makes them appear as if they can. So I don't know why it's so funny to me, but the fact that he wasted all this time constructing phrases that seem like they can be read back and forth is really funny. So I'm going to read a few of them to you. Oh, Jin, need a dingo? <laughs> Here's another. I a CD-ROM ribbed
3: a bearded Mordecai. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it sounds like a palindrome, but it's it it's not quite. I guess that it makes it a phalindrome. This makes sense.
2: There's one more. Uh, it, it goes. Abel Seidler's race cars, Idris Elba, and I feel mm. like I feel like that's exactly what palindromes. So many palindromes are they like don't quite make sense, but like you want them to make sense because they're structured nicely. But I I love that side. It's just so funny. It makes me laugh every time I look at it.
3: I think that one may be one of my favorites. I do want to admit I have seen those before, and I think I was in tears. I was laughing so hard at (laughs) reading these. And so for that, I think you deserve today's trophy, Mango.
2: Well, I can't
3: fault you there. I think that's it for today's part-time
2: genius. You know, I know you and I had so much fun looking this stuff up. Like I said earlier, I'd really love for any suggestions to come in. So if you've got great corners, great little secrets about the Internet that you want to send in, please, please hit us up on email. Facebook, Twitter, We're at part-time genius at iheartmedia.com, and from Gabe, Tristan, will and me, thank you so much for listening.
0: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride with Sammel Bo